everyone. Welcome to the latest Rosenfeld Review podcast. I'm very happy to have Rich Miranov with me today. Hi, Rich. How are you, Luke? Good to have you on the show. Um, you all may know Rich, especially if you're in the, the Bay Area and uh, have been someone who's either a, a product person like Rich. Yeah, I think many people call you the product guy. Um, or uh, a, a design person who's um, product curious. And obviously a lot of us are, are kind of uh, coming together uh, more and more these days. Uh, Rich has been blogging about software product management uh, since 2002. Uh, his blog is Product Bytes. And um, uh, out of that work uh, came a book he wrote, The Art of Product Management, Lessons from a Silicon Valley Innovator. Um, and these days, besides writing, uh, Rich coaches uh, VPs of product management. And uh, but you're not just a product guy. You're like a lot of us on the design side. You're you're design curious. Um, and you know, I want to hear a little bit about your story because I know from your bio that product design uh, somehow you you got started at Yale with. Uh, uh, a degree and what was it again? Something totally unrelated. Yeah, I have a physics degree, but my thesis was about the dinosaur extinction. So it has nothing to do with CEOs and turnovers of corporate responsibility or ownership. Yeah, but it, it, on the other hand, you're, it sounds like you were synthesizing physics and maybe uh, paleontology or, or some other areas. And now you're kind of synthesizing again. So is that just a, a personality type that you have and that many of us are starting to see where you're we're just kind of naturally synthesizing things that aren't necessarily obvious to everyone else? Uh, maybe. I, I think it's, you know, it's less about talent than about how I've been sampling. So uh, I've been out on my own as an independent since, uh, I don't know, 01, worked with over 100 companies, mostly on the product side. And when that's your sampling at the executive level, you see some patterns and some trends that are obvious because of the numbers and the breadth in the sample. So, you know, I see, I work with a lot of CEOs, for instance, many of whom believe that they have better information about what customers want than anyone else in their company. And it's not that they're blind or dumb, it's that there's things about the CEO job that shape their point of view you know, if we, if we go back to agile tenets and say we believe in the people more than we believe in the processes, right? I think a lot about how the structure of companies and the structure of how we divide our work leads to good or bad results, regardless of who we put in that chair. Let's talk a little bit about people who work the C-level uh, or, you know, you know, a lot of product people, a lot of product managers. Um, having that feeling of, of knowing the customer better, knowing better in general. Um, look, I mean, everyone has their, their chauvinism and their bias. Everyone feels threatened one way or another by other people. But, you know, to kind of argue the, the, that side, don't those people in some respect have a, a kind of bigger picture perspective than, let's say, a lot of designers or researchers that might be more product focused? I, I think that's true. Um, th what I worry about, though, a lot in the same way that I think my um, user research folks worry about is the inherent biases in their incoming streams. So if I'm the CEO, I spend most of my time selling, not listening, because I'm also the chief revenue officer. 
I mostly get calls either from sales teams that want me to help close the biggest of the deals or from customers who are so angry and frustrated that they've gone all the way up the chain. And so my, my sampling of what's going on in the world as a CEO is heavily biased toward a handful of very, very large customers that don't represent the rest of my market. And whatever this week's catastrophe you know, in the, in the code release was that broke a lot of stuff. And so it's really hard to maintain um, balance and a sense of who the overall audience is if I'm getting a very skewed set of inputs like that. Um, so would it be fair to say those people may have like the power of broad perspective, but the, the Achilles heel of, of, of very narrow, unrepresentative data while maybe a lot of folks on the design side really are in the, uh, have the opposite situation. I think that's fair. That's exactly right. And, you know, on the design side, we've created tools and, and processes and approaches to try to set aside our bias in a way that's really good, right? I think that's really important. But it is easy to lose at the design level. It's easy to lose the broader perspective of how we make money, how we compete in the markets, um, new technologies that are going to knock us off our, our perch. Um, and, and maybe even more than that, the thing I worry about the most is we lose a sense of the emotional drivers and reward systems of folks elsewhere in the company. So, you know, our, our support teams are paid to close tickets and get folks off the phone. And they're a really good source of what most folks are finding that's broken but they don't ever talk to prospects because prospects don't come through support, right? Mm -hmm. On the sales side, at least on enterprise sales, we pay our salespeople to close individual really large deals, not for the good of the corporation. And so what that means is that they almost always represent a, a tiny, narrow, non-representative slice, but with a lot of dollars attached that causes them to tip over our general point of view, right? Marketing folks are almost always more interested in campaigns and messages and high-level slogans than they are about exactly how the product works. So as we walk through the organization, the way we hire and reward and move people ahead should help us understand their point of view. And as a product person, as a product manager, I have to make all those folks at least reasonably happy without necessarily giving them all what they want because they each bring their expected and completely normal set of biases to how they see the world. And on the design side, I see great understanding of workflows, great understanding of incremental feature function, often pretty poor on how we compete and win, pretty poor on how we make money and the difference between a feature we're going to charge for and a feature we're going to give away or packaging or, um, you know, the renewal cycle, right? So those are things that, as a product person, I need to expect to supplement. I should expect to, you know, bolster and shore up my design partners with the things that I normally expect them not to know or not to have good skills on. So it sounds like you're, you're getting at, well, you're getting at something that a lot of us are really struggling with, which is how do product people and design people relate? And, you know, you've just covered a, maybe you could call it a seam, there's, a, there's different seams, I would imagine. Do you, would you characterize a, a bunch of seams that you, like, do you see patterns, I suppose, is really what I'm asking. Like, there's different types of seams that if we're 
uh, and I say seams and not boundaries, because I think we don't really want to erect boundaries, but where these things come together uh, and, and where there's opportunity, do you, are there like a few cases where you see this happening most often? What are the most common seams? Sure. And, and, and again, I'm thinking here about the design to product seam because mm-hmm. the product folks actually have this problem with every functional group in the whole company because mm-hmm. that's their job. Right. On the design side, though, what, what uh, a few things I see, um, and, and let me preface this by saying I, I have a, a very uh, rare illness. I am design blind, which means when you show me two designs, I am almost 100% likely to pick the not good one. Right? That so, could be very valuable. Well, not so much, right? But what it means is that, is that I need to keep in mind all the time that I don't bring taste and experience on the design side. And that's why I need somebody really good across the table from me in the same way that I expect them to respect some of the specific skills and experience I have around packaging and messaging and going to market and figuring out what people are going to pay for and what they really want. Mm-hmm. Right. Um, so, so one of the seams I see one, one of the, I think we experience a lot is I'm always pushing my product managers endlessly all day long, all year long to talk directly with lots of customers and prospects and users to figure out what's going on in their heads and what they really want. And uh, most product managers don't do enough of that. Some don't do any. Mm -hmm. And, you know, so I'm putting up metrics for my teams. Like if you haven't talked to two customers this week outside the sales cycle, and that's important because when I'm on a sales call, my job is to sell not to learn. Right. And and also who you're selling to is often not the person. And in general, it's late in the process and the sales team wants me to say one particular thing, whether it's true or not, to close the deal. And I, I'm not on that call to learn or raise new issues. So I insist that my product manager spend at least a couple of calls every single week with folks who are representative and are not in the sales cycle and are somehow you know, distributed across our user base or our prospect base. And... I know that designers want to be doing exactly that same thing. And so one of the, you know, one of the friction points, one of the challenges is who organizes these calls and who's on them? Because of course my designers want to lead the call, have the agenda work through their samples or paper sketches or whatever we're trying to experiment with. And my product managers want to be on that call asking lots of questions about buyers and value and economics and, how much would you pay for it and who else would you buy from? Right. Um, so I, I, first of all, I almost always insist that my product managers invite both a designer and a developer onto every call they have with the customer. Now they don't always get somebody to show up, but we can't sit in our own little holes in our own little holes and not share. And out of that, we also need to put together notes and takeaways. And, and if we're recording them or, or there's, there's long-form notes, share them out. So folks who aren't, didn't make the call or want to learn can get the details. Um, but those tend to be calls that are a little more producty, businessy, economic in tone and may or may not be that useful for my designers. On the other hand, the design call where we're putting up two or three alternate workflows or uh, we're testing out designs or we're trying to get conceptual details about problem statements. I want my product managers on the call, but probably not driving the call. In fact, mm-hmm. maybe they don't speak um, because designers bring a different sensibility, a different set of 
questions. They hear different things. They're, they're driving in, you know, for more interesting stuff from their point of view, but I can't have those be independent or we have to explain them to each other over and over again and, and not be aligned. So on a small product team that makes really good sense to me that the, you know, the product manager or maybe in many cases, the product owner in a small team is, you know, bringing, um, a perspective, a, a way of interpreting evidence and, and understanding reality that, that might, you know, work nicely in tandem with other perspectives on reality, like what a researcher or designer might bring. What about in larger organizations where there are more specializations and product teams may be much larger, not just more specialized, but much larger. I'm wondering in those situations, should product managers, instead of being one of the brains, should they try to build the brain? In other words, try to be the ones who create the situation for these various perspectives and, and sets of evidence to come together and make sure that there's a process of synthesis that leads to some insights that are really valuable and, and let the decisions almost make themselves by creating a situation where all these specializations can really kind of share. Yeah. Uh, I, basically to mix the stew and put, make sure the right ingredients are there. Uh, not a strategy I like, not a strategy I adopt. And, and let, me, let me give you two reasons why. The first is um, I think you need product managers for each piece of a product if it's big. Um, if, we, if we price out a development team of six with or without a designer, that's a million bucks a year. And I'm not willing to have a team or two go off on their own without good product leadership or good product point of view because I'm spending a couple of million bucks a year on something and I'm probably going to not get what I want. So rather than have product managers be one or two levels removed, what I want to do is I have more junior or more scope product managers who are assigned to one or two teams, right? And that might be a portion of a product or a portion of a feature. Um, I also see that when somebody on my team's not on the call and we get the summary from somebody else, designer, developer, salesperson, you know, customer success rep, um, we lose all the juice, we lose all the flavor and the spice. And what we get is somebody else's interpretation of what happened, again, based on their different expertise. So when I talk to my customer support folks, I get a very different slant on the problem than when I talk to my salespeople. And the answer is I need to put a product person on the phone or on the, on the video actually directly interrogating somebody to figure out what's true because I can't, I don't believe I can depend on the other functional groups to get the same kind of insight that the folks on my team would do. And, and if I turn that around, let me put it in designer terms. So if my product manager comes back from two weeks on the road with a bunch of notes from 20 interviews and says to the design team, oh, here's how we need to fix this. Right? I could imagine my designers being less than excited. Mm -hmm. right? And at a minimum, they're going to want to rip through the real details of what was said and see all the artifacts. And, and at better, they're really going to want to dial into some of those meetings and find out if I'm asking the wrong questions, if I'm leading the witness, if I don't understand what I'm doing. Right? And so when, when, when people take the product managers out of the box, what I find is we get 
good decisions, but they're not necessarily right decisions. When I just have my developers make the call, we often spend more energy on re retiring tech debt than we might if somebody else makes the call. And, and again, if, if you think of a product manager as bringing specific expertise and tools rather than just organizational skills, then you might want them in the room. Yeah. Well, you know, this is a, there, there's a lot of ways. Um, yeah, I was going to say there's a lot of ways to skin this cat, but the, the problem is like there are many kinds of cats here and, Mm -hmm. It's kind of a gross metaphor anyway, but uh, <laughs> yeah, let's not skin them. House cats, and some of them are lions, and some yeah, leaders, and, you know. Uh, and, and this is one reason you know you have a, a great perspective and a lot of experience, and that's one reason we wanted to have you involved in our conference this year. So uh, Rich is uh, joining our curation team, uh, one of uh, uh, five folks that come from product and engineering and customer experience that are joining our existing core team of, of UX curators. And what we're trying to do with what you may know as the Enterprise UX Conference is change it in a pretty dramatic way, uh, although it's kind of predictable if you look at the evolution of the industry. We're rebranding it as Enterprise Experience. And uh, people like Rich are going to uh, help us change the program in a way that really speaks to uh, certainly UX leaders and managers who are now really trying to uh, uh, not only experience, but realize that for an enterprise to deliver a really good experience, they have to collaborate, partner with, align with people from other functions like engineering, like product, like <laughs> and other areas as well. And so right now we're, we're really kind of in the thick of uh, with Rich's help, thinking through how that program might be very different and have some interesting uh, cross-functional, maybe role-playing exercises on stage. There's some other good ideas that we're banding about. The conference is going to be June 3rd through 5th in San Francisco. Uh, and um, if you go to our brand new enterprise experience community, which you'll see from the Rosenfeld Media main page, we just launched it about two and a half hours ago, I believe it was. Uh, it's actually been a community that's been around. We've been having informal monthly video conference calls for months, but now you can join it through our website. It can be a lot easier. These calls have been great. We're testing out some of these ideas on these calls. It's part of the community a newsletter we're launching to keep up with these uh, ideas. And uh, it all wraps up uh, uh, together in the annual conference, which again, Rich is helping with. It's going to be June 3rd through 5th. Um, I have one more question for you, Rich, um, but before I ask it, uh, I'm, uh, I'm, gonna, I'm just going to mention to the listeners uh, who I'm sure want to learn more about your work and uh, maybe read Product Bytes if they're not already familiar with it. Uh, the website is Mironov.com, M-I-R-O-N-O-V.com. And uh, again, Rich will be at, uh, at uh, Enterprise Experience 2019, uh, and you'll get to meet him there. I hope you'll join us there. Um, Rich, I'd like to ask uh, my guests if there's a really interesting person or, or book or, or some other really uh, valuable piece of information they should know about. What you got for me? Sure. Um, I'm just finishing up what I think is a great, great book from Melissa Perry called Escaping the Build Trap. And what I'm really enjoying about it, because she's quite a smart thinker and writer, um, about product management and product strategy is it, it helps us 
pull ourselves out of the execution phase of sort of sprint level writing stories, which is only useful if you're writing useful stories that solve real problems. And to think about the, the strategic trappings of how we set goals and how we design experiments and how we understand customers in the broad sense. I think it's a really good piece of work. Um, so, so that's, I would say it's on my bedside table. It's actually on my desk table. So that's great. And, and I, I always get her last name uh, misspelled. It's Melissa. It's P E R R I not P E R R Y. Thank you. I, I would have said a, so that's good. Uh, thanks for that. Uh, I'll have to hit up Melissa for a, a future podcast. Uh, in the meantime, I wanted to thank Rich Miranoff, a uh, uh, longtime blogger on uh, software product management, uh, coach of uh, VPs of product management, and uh, someone who's uh, contributing a lot to making uh, Enterprise Experience 2019 a great conference. Thanks for joining us today. Oh, my pleasure. Thank you. Thank you.